Anthem, thanks for joining us this week. I'm excited to share a message with you today. But before we get into that, I just want to remind you that next week, uh, October 18th, Sunday, October 18th, is Anthem's two-year anniversary. And we're really excited to be able to connect with you next week, either here on, uh, online or at the uh, Doubletree Bedford Glen, where we're going to be having a somewhat of a celebration service there uh, of our two years as a church together. We can't believe all that God has done over these past two years, and we're excited to connect uh, both here online and in real life as well at the Doubletree. So join us for one of those next week. We're so grateful to those of you who've continued to be giving at Anthem, uh, grateful for your commitment to God through your tithes and your offerings. Uh, and if you want to give again this week, remember the usual place to do that is anthemchurch.life slash give. Um, you know, we've just had a, a week of prayer here at Anthem, and it's just been a great time, our 777 week of prayer 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. for the first seven days of October. And we were so grateful for so many of you joining us for that. Uh, we, one of the factors of that week of prayer was that we did a devotional each day based on the Lord's Prayer, that prayer from Matthew chapter 6. And it's really interesting when I watched that to see that the prayer is made up of, of words like our, quite a lot, our Father, give us this day, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. The whole thing is about us praying together and us being united and of, be, and as, as of, being, and of us being of one mind and one heart. And that's a stark contrast from where our nat nation is at right now. At the, as we're kind of the, coming to the end of this political season and the beginning of a new uh, four-year political cycle, it feels like our nation is at a level of division that we have never even experienced before. And of course, it's such a tragedy when that division finds its way into the church. And there's a little bit about what I want to speak about today. Earlier this week, as I was preparing for this message, uh, my phone rang and because I'm probably undiagnosed ADD, I love distractions, and this uh, Houston, Texas area code just grabbed my attention and I picked it up. And the caller told me, like, I'm conducting a survey of Texans about their voting choices, to which I'm like, you know, whatever. Um, for a moment, I'm, I'm saying to him, like, what makes you think that as you call a Michigan area code, which is my area code from back in Detroit, um, that you're going to get the right result here? And he said, well, you know, we all have different uh, locations, don't we? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, he said to me, I'm calling from New Jersey. Um, and I said, oh, I'm in, I'm in Massachusetts. And so after a moment's time, I realized, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You're calling me from New Jersey on a, with a Houston area code to a guy with a Metro Detroit area code that's being answered by a British citizen picking up the phone in Boston to see how I would vote in Texas. And he tells me he's getting this information from voter records. Um, I mean, good night. Like, is, it, is there any more definition of why we are completely confused as a nation at the moment, you know, than something like that. There's a documentary on, on Netflix right now called The Social Dilemma. 
And if you haven't watched it, um, I, I recommend you watching it. Uh, as many of these documentaries that come on TV, you know, if only 10% of it is true, then we've got cause for concern. And it, just in the same way that your streaming service, whether it's Netflix or Hulu, is going to recommend things to you based on what you've already seen. Um, so in the same way, our social media outlets of Facebook or YouTube or whatever are constantly sending us things that they think that we want to hear based on our previous uh, viewing and reading records. Now, if all you've watched on the internet is a bunch of cat videos and you're quite happy seeing more cat videos, you'll, you'll probably just think the internet is just full of cat videos and that carries on. But it gets uh, a little on the negative side, doesn't it, when their strategy is to complete, continue to reinforce your political views, opinions, favoritisms and bias, biases and continually fuel them to, uh, to a point of, of danger where we believe that what it's sending us is the only news. And this has a habit of creating this us and them scenario based where, where, where you sit is the us and is the good and where everyone else sits is the them and is the bad. And I've been analyzing my social media platforms recently and I think I've discovered that Facebook thinks I'm a Democrat and that YouTube thinks I'm a Republican. Um, and I'm quite pleased, I'm quite proud of that, like, uh, you know, vexing them a little. And I'm, I'm hoping to continue that confusion a little bit more because earlier in the week, I decided to start doing searches and likes and subscribing to all things related to basket weaving. So now both of those platforms think I'm into basket weaving. And it's a lot of fun to start seeing the way that they will manipulate your feed. You should try it sometimes. Now, I have about 2,300 friends on Facebook. That's, you know, friends in the quotes. That's not to pat myself on the back because if you've lived in a few states and country like I have, you end up with a, you know, a lot of uh, very distant acquaintances. Because of that, I'm very careful about the way I share my opinions on Facebook because uh, my sarcasm, insensitivity, and then British accent don't serve me well in real life let alone behind the, the, the emotionless uh, world of social media. So I'm, I'm really careful about the way I post. And so I try to remember this, that everything I post, every opinion I have, and every statement I make will be seen by a randomly generated selection of those 2,300 people, many of whom I have actually no relationship with. I probably know most of you who are watching this far more than I know most of the people who are friends with me on Facebook. It's seen by Republicans and Democrats. It's seen by immigrants and citizens. It's seen, it's seen by my Christian friends and my atheist neighbors. And as much as we're in this world always trying to get our voice to be heard and to be understood and for our own unique identity to make a contribution to this world, would it be better if we considered for a moment every possible audience member before we declare our opinion of the day? Might it serve us well to be a less divided community and eventually a less divided nation? If we were ready to, as they say, you know, use our, ear, uh, our ears and our tongue in proportion to one another, where you have two of these and, and one of these. And I wish more people had this approach because... Over the past years, and specifically over the last few months, I've seen conversations between people who are followers of Christ 
uh, degrade into the worst types of conversations um, that where, where people are in shouting matches with one another and voicing their opinions so vehemently that it's causing division in the church. I can think of one time uh, just a few weeks or months ago when I was actually in this room where we film our service, in, in our garage here where we film our services at this table and looking through my scroll. And I got caught into a conversation with uh, into reading a, a conversation thread of people that I've, I've, I've known for a long time. And the conversation had degraded itself so bad that eventually it was Christians telling other Christians that because of their views in certain political areas, they were no longer Christians. Honestly, it was gut-wrenching. And it was the sort of thing that, that, I'll kid you not, made me drop to my knees and cry and cry out to God as well as cry because of how, how disuniting that was in the body of Christ. And what was worse about it, and this was the, the really tough part, is that some of those people who were in conversation with one another, some, of, some I don't think even knew each other that well, but some had previously been the kind of people who locked arms together in the cause of the gospel, in, in leading in the same church, in serving alongside one another. And we'd let our earthly views and opinions get higher in, in rank than our recognition of one another as followers of Christ. Now, in the New Testament, Paul wrote to the church, wrote to a number of churches, but wrote to the church in Philippi, a church in Macedonia that he had started 12 years beforehand. And he wrote to them with, with uh, having been received information from them. He was in Rome in prison and he's hearing information from them 500 miles away and he's writing to them a letter that would have probably taken then months to get to them. And he talks about a lot of things, but in the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, verse 2, he speaks specifically to two individuals in the church. And this is, this is in stark contrast to the rest of the letter, which is written to the entire body. He says, And I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche, to settle their disagreement, and to be restored with one mind in our Lord. I would like my dear friend and burden bearer to help restore this issue, for both women have diligently labored with me for the prize and helped in spreading the revelation of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. All of their names are written in the book of life. You've got these two women that are in a sharp disagreement with one another, Euodia and Syntyche, and we don't know anything about these two women. They never come up in scripture before or after other than having like awful names. I mean, do you ever, you know, you ever had a baby and, and gone like, she looks like a Syntyche. Like it's, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, but these two women are in this sharp disagreement. Paul seems to affirm both of these women in the same way. He says, I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syntyche. And he says, I want um, uh, both these women, uh, both women to restore their relationship. You know, coming to an agreement in the Lord may be different from just agreeing with one another. You know, could it be that, that Euodia's a, a Republican and Syntyche's a Democrat and they're never necessarily going to meet on their issues? But Paul admonishes these women who are sparring on different sides of a debate to somehow meet in the middle, 
Paul is urging them to come to an agreement in the Lord. And this, this phrase, it, like come to an agreement in the Lord, keeps coming back to me in the Lord, in the Lord. There's something unique about our agreements when they're in the Lord. And, and, and why does he do that? What's so important to Paul about these women's relationship with one another and making it public uh, within earshot of the whole church? And I believe the answer is this. He goes on to say that uh, these, both these women have diligently labored for me for the prize and helping in spreading the revelation of the gospel. Euodia and Syntyche together had a history of winning together when it meant locking arms with Paul and serving God for the cause of God's kingdom and for the gospel to be preached. They weren't struggling back then, apparently, in their issues. Their issues seemed smaller than the main thing, which was God and his kingdom. Both women have diligently labored for me for the prize and helped in spreading the revelation of the gospel. And Paul is pleading with these two two women, will you please agree with one another in the Lord? And I think the big point uh, that we start to see is that that they are not going to be able to settle their dispute or their disagreement in a normal human way. They've got to do it in the Lord. They've got to lift up their human situations and view them through the lens of being children of a God that loves them both despite their differences. When we do something in the Lord, we recognize that despite our disagreements, there are bigger issues at stake than what's separating us. And, you know, this might sound a little bit cheesy, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, we, we, the kingdom of God can't be multiplied and divided at the same time. If there is division in the church, we can't see multiplication in the church. And all of us, because, because we believe that, that God wants all men to be saved, all of us want to see multiplication in the church. Well, we can't see that if at the same time there is division in the church. Those are opposing mathematical equations. We want to see multiplication in the church, not division. That's why it's so important that we think about what are the things that divide followers of Christ. And we get those things at the right level so that we can be united as his children. Honestly, Anthem, I am so impressed with most of you in the way that you conduct yourselves in your relationships with one another. As a growing community of people, and in a sense, this experimental church community, this brand new church family, I've been so impressed by the way that so many of us conduct ourselves in our relationships with one another, on social media, in our public platforms, in the public arena, in our small groups. We have a, a racial reconciliation group right now, which is, which is so great to have in a young church like ours with, with a dozen or so people in that group. And I'm so proud of the way that that group is, is wrestling down one of the biggest issues of 2020. And doing it as people that first and foremost say we are followers of Christ first, wherever we, from whatever history we come from, whatever cultural or racial background or whatever our political affiliations are, we're followers of Christ first. I met with leaders of area churches earlier this week. Some of our church leaders in Burlington and Bedford and Bill Ricker and Cambridge and, and, and just this area in general. And one of those leaders said to me, he said, I have people in my church who are QAnon supporters 
and I have other people who are BLM supporters and neither can even imagine that, that people on the opposing group could be considered followers of Christ. And he said, this is the, this is the time of, the, of, of my life when I, I enjoy leading a church the least because our divisions are highlighted more than our unity. You know, Anthem, Liz shared a talk back with you uh, in July when we, were, when we were just online and we were doing a series called Uncomfortable. And it was a, uh, in that series, she gave a talk on, on uh, the racial tension that we were facing and still are. And uh, we're going to put the, uh, the, the link for that up in the, the comments. And I'd encourage you to, to watch that if you have a moment on our YouTube channel. But in that message, she quoted Andy Stanley, and Andy Stanley is a pastor in Atlanta that we, uh, we, we find that we follow a lot of his stuff and read some of his books and are influenced by some of his writings and his, his podcasts. And Andy Stanley said this in one of his messages recently about the subject of the church divided. He said, the truth is rarely found in the extremes. It's found where the circles overlap in the middle, the messy, messy middle. That is where the brutal, uncomfortable facts all come together. But it's also where problems can be solved. But it is so uncomfortable. It's so much easier to retreat to the echo chambers of extremes where everyone agrees, but nothing is ever accomplished. In the messy middle, we are confronted with the uncomfortable facts. I love I love that, the idea that it is in the middle. One, one author who I follow for a number of years, Steve Fry, he talks about it being the radical middle. It seems like in the, riddle, in the middle, it's a place where you, know, you can't get anything done, but it is actually a place from which you can grasp both extremes. And it applies, that, that middle ground, that radical middle applies to so many areas of theology, whether it's talking about predestination or free will. It's something we need to grasp the truth of both, both of those scriptures that explain those truths, whether it's talking about discipleship or evangelism or the, or, or the word of God in the church or the spirit of God in the church. We need to be at a place from where we can grasp both extremes. You know, like you, I often don't want to, to learn from certain people. I just don't feel like learning one day or, you know, I'm not in the mood. And as I was scrolling through our Anthem Church community group today, um, I noticed that my friend Priscilla had posted something. And it was a, a link that had been posted from TBN. And I looked at it and I thought, I, I don't think I have anything to learn from TBN today. Uh, I had Kirk Franklin on the front of it and and I didn't feel like I had anything to learn from Kirk Franklin particularly today. And it's, I, I see him more as an artist than a, than a pastor because I'm not that familiar with him. So, so I, I just wanted to, to switch it off. And then in the, the, the header, it said um, it was talking about the church being complicit in racial division and why it just can't be silent. And so as the leader of this Anthem Church community group on Facebook, um, I, I thought I got I to gotta just watch this. And I started watching this 16 minute video. And I got three or four minutes in, and at one point I stopped it, and I, I rewound it immediately, and I watched it again, and I re-listened to hear what I wasn't sure if I'd heard or not. Here were, were uh, three or four of gentlemen who I would say were some of the greatest 
uh, spiritual giants and leaders of significant churches and movements in our country and being interviewed, uh, black and white, being interviewed on TBN on, on the subject of racial diversity and the church's complicit nature in, in racial injustice. These are people who had already learned together. These are people who'd learned the hard way. These are spiritual giants in our nation who'd done a lot of their homework and made it, done a lot of work to come together and to declare an agenda and a platform that doesn't reflect one or other of our political parties right now, but reflects the heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These guys are gifts to our church nationally. And again, we're going to put that in the link. And I would just, if you're not on our Anthem Church community group, um, that's our, our, our community group for those people who attend Anthem. And you're welcome to look up Anthem Church community and find us online for that. But if you're not part of that, we're going to put that in the link in the, in the comments too. And I'd encourage you to, to watch that uh, sometime soon. They were coming together to declare kingdom of God values in a divided world. And I love to see that. And it's at those point, I realize I've got to learn. And they were even putting out the word to pastors like me across the country and say, you've got to learn. And I, there was parts of it that I realized I want to learn. I want to be in a posture of learning. I want to be in a posture of listening, doing that more than I'm ready to speak. Because I know that there's a lot that needs to be understood and thought through in my mind. I believe God's calling us to be lights together as God's people, to be people of justice and righteousness, to be people that will, that will unite rather than divide. And when we do disagree, we will see our relationships with God and with one another as greater than those disagreements that so often divide us. Anthem, I, my prayer for you today is that we will continue to work towards unity. Just like Paul asked Euodia and Syntyche and pleaded with these two women, be united because you are at your best when you stand together, contending together for the cause of the gospel of Christ.